Hi everyone, this is Pietro from Prima Materia Vineyard and Winery based in Oakland, California. Uh, putting together a little video, we are going to release our Spring Wine Club on Saturday. Uh, usually four wines, $99. Um, this one, you get an additional bottle. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to just throw together a video in addition to the page write-up sheet everyone gets with these. Um, it's a chance to add a little bit of context though, and as we all know, the world is incredibly strange right now. So, uh, our vineyard is up in Lake County in the Kelsey Bench AVA, uh, about 1,400, 1450 feet, mostly Italian varietals. A couple uh, Frenchies though, uh, Chardonnay right here and Grenache will also be in the wine club. So the Chardonnay is sort of the bonus bottle, uh, just happens to be drinking really well right now. Bottled it maybe eight months ago and it's just very on point. So uh, Chardonnay vines, yeah, a little less than an acre. They're almost 30 years old. They were planted in 1992. I think they're Wente clone, but Wente, of course, there are several different Wente clones. Don't know what the rootstock is. Um, but they're survivor vines. Some of them are head trained. Uh, we were going to graft them over in 2012 or so. Uh, so cut them back pretty severely uh, and then couldn't get the grafter. The project didn't happen. But that allowed us to knock a lot of the disease out of the vines that accumulates over time. So they're actually doing pretty well now, having grown back. Uh, and we only make 80 to 100 cases, depending on the vintage of this wine every year. So this is warm climate Chardonnay. Lake County is pretty warm in the summer, August and early September when we pick this. It's usually 95-ish, 100 degree days are not uncommon. So it's often one of the first things we pick. Uh, very, not very different, but a different sort of thing than cooler climate or French style chalky soil uh, um, so this is, this is ripe, but the point with the Chardonnay for me is to get a balance in between green apple, bright acidity, and then some of those pretty yellow fruits getting a little hint of pineapple in there, which sort of shows the warmth on the one hand, and then the, uh, slightly more austere acid-driven side on the other. And... Vintages, uh, they vary in Lake County. Several of these wines will be 2018. 18 was a, a strange year. Um, late July and August itself was quite hot. And then we had an abnormally cool harvest, just like a really beautiful 82 degrees, 85 degrees every day, uh, all the way into late October. So after a real ambitious, fast-running start that was starting to cause a little bit of concern, uh, things really leveled off. So, and it shows a little bit in this wine, I think. Um, and there's definitely that sort of baked pear yellow apple core that Chardonnay always has, almost like a little touch of petrol in there as well but it has that kind of malic acid, green apple, uh, bright freshness to it, lemon peel, citrus for sure, but more like on the star fruit yellow and not super tropical. The 2017 vintage, which is what we have in the tasting room right now, is a little more on the uh, 
little touch of roasted pineapple. But as these vines get older and older, we get more of the, uh, the mineral sensation, mid-palate, back-palate, sort of singing and buzzing, um, still going. So you have some, some real length to this wine, but it's also approachable up front. It's not like it's uh, a really cold climate, lemon juice sort of thing that needs a lot of time to open up. Um, I think it's a fun wine for a lot of people. Great with fried foods, salty things, french fries, you know, uh, something out of the fryer. It can go great with chicken, uh, roasted vegetables. It can be a nice counterpoint to the char. A lot of different things you can do food pairing wise. And we have a new label for this one also, so I'm happy to be, happy to be showing that. The next wine, different vintage, 2016. And again, although we are heavy on the Italian varietals, we're at the last few cases of the 2016 Grenache, which is really drinking beautifully. Uh, Grenache, California Grenache is always a struggle. Um, it's super vigorous in the vineyard. It can be color challenged. It can overcrop. Um, it's just a, it's kind of a difficult wine to coax really transcendental wine out of. Uh, it fits really well into our lineup as the lightest, brightest, friendliest wine in the lineup. I tend to gravitate towards the more challenging things, uh, often high tannin, things like that. Um, planted this, I think, back in 2011 with the intention of just using it, 2010 actually, uh, as just for rosé. Grenache makes a great rosé base. And, but have other bits and pieces of things lying around for rosés. Um, I've been diversifying the rosé selection. We'll have three coming out here shortly. Uh, but I really kind of like the Grenache on its own. At first we were doing a GSM with it, and then I did a Grenache Syrah and Montepulciano, which is still a GSM, and then a Grenache Syrah and Petite Syrah kind of moving the needle towards more of the earthy, medium, medium plus weight. But I just, I felt like something was getting lost in the translation. So started pulling back on that. And now we're doing 100% pure Grenache, uh, maybe 15% stem inclusion. I'm not a super heavy stem guy, but I think it does have an important component in sort of framing and underlying fruit. Um, but I also don't like it when things are too fruity. And a little bit of stem inclusion can help sort of tamp those things down. Um, this is fully ripe Grenache, though. Uh, so, you know, 14% alcohol. Um, very strawberry and pepper. If anything, this is more about just the really pleasurable red fruits, cranberry, raspberry, but then a really bright, little bit of a uh, little bit of pepper punch that you can also get a little hint of the stem inclusion in there just to keep it on the more serious side but you can even give this a chill in the summer too hmm. 
the fruit is just so nice on it that it always brings a smile to my face. And I love hang, having this in the lineup, uh, even though it's, we only make two barrels a year. If it's good vintage in 2015, we didn't even get one barrel. So definitely varies a bit, um, which is so pretty nice. Uh, food pairing wise, you know, lighter dishes. Uh, sometimes there's a little bit of a green pepper note, not so much in this vintage, but in the other ones, there's kind of this thing that can go really nicely with vegetables also, where the fruit counterpoints, you know, green beans, something like that, but then there's this note in there that really sort of combines well with them, bridges the whole project. Um, yeah, so I think we have six cases of this left, so all for the wine club. Next one will be out soon, uh, even lighter hued than this one. So nice though. I have a lot of fun working with the Grenache. It's just, it's so different than the uh, more robust, darker varietals. So moving into the Italians, uh, Negro Amaro. This will be the fifth vintage of Negro Amaro. I think the fifth. Uh, the first couple came from different vineyards. One from Tracy Hills. The second one was mostly Lowell Stones over in Mendocino County. Uh, we planted our own, so we have an acre of it. Um, last vintage was more of a barrel-aged, robust, medium, medium, slightly medium plus. Uh, great middle of the road wine. Uh, I wouldn't say that Negro Maro, it's not too tannic, it's not too acidic. It's not too peppery. It doesn't have pyrazine like the Cabernet family. It sort of sits in this middle pocket, um, which it almost makes sense that in Puglia, it's native area, it grows near Primitivo, which also sort of occupies this middle zone of not too dry, not too acidic, not too tannic. Um, just. It, it can get a little bit lost sometimes because of its mediumness. I think in the tasting room I was mentioning to people who weren't familiar with it as being the Merlot of the South, or like a, a more rustic Merlot, because it has a little bit of that gritty tannin that we like so much. Uh, so this one stylistically is different than the, the other vintages. When Negro Amaro is young, and I've had this in some of the Italian ones, manages to hold on to it, but there's this super delicate note of fresh pink fig, and but it, it gets lost with the barrel aging. So this vintage, the 2018, picked it a little bit earlier, uh, fermented in tank for probably 14 days. Um, I go a lot longer with some of the other ones, but I don't think it necessarily benefits the Negro Amaro. And this never saw a barrel. So this was kept in stainless steel the whole time, mainly because I wanted to know what would happen if every single molecule of aromatic and flavor element was somehow kept in the wine. And after this experiment, the next one is gonna be just a short pass in barrel. because so I think it needs actually a little bit of air to develop some of the more characteristic notes. There's a little bit of tobacco and some, in addition to like the pretty pink interior fig note, there's also a, a tobacco-y dried mission fig note also. And doing it one way or the other, you tend to 
tend to focus on one or the other, but maybe with just a short barrel pass, we can get the best of both worlds together. Um, but Negro Amaro, really interesting aromatics. You know, red fruit, kind of funky. It always has sort of an olive leaf, and um, I keep saying tobacco, but it's not, it's not like green pepper tobacco. It's more like almost a sage note, roasted herb. Even, even some citrus comes out in there sometimes. Our, our Primitivo does that too. Sometimes it has a real uh, orange peel element to it. But pretty characteristic for Negro Amaro. Fairly round. A little bit of dry, chalky tannin, but it's very fine. It's not big, chunky, mouth-parching tannin by any stretch. Definitely some white pepper in there. And sometimes there's like a... In restaurants, you'd find old containers of white pepper, and sometimes they'd have like a mushroom quality to them. There's a little bit of that in here, too. Negro Mar always has some extra funky side notes that are, that are really kind of bizarre. And this is a vine that loves heat in Lake County, uh, along with the Grenache. On the 100, 105 degree days, it actually looks fantastic. A lot of the other vines, especially, you know, Barbera, Dolcetto, above 95, they start to suffer. They kind of wilt over, and you can see the leaves kind of turn. Uh, Negro Amaro, Grenache, Morved, um, they stand more upright. You can, you can tell they're just soaking in the heat and loving it. But strangely enough, the berries, uh, they don't like direct sunlight. So there's some special canopy management to make sure everything is kept in the shade on the interior of the, interior of the vine. Uh, been a really interesting learning, learning curve for me working with that one. And then the third red in the lineup. And we don't do blends too often. Most of the time we're focused on single varietal things. I'm pretty, pretty deeply into the purity and focus that varietal wines have. Generally, I find them superior to blends. That's a pretty argumentative point, and I certainly argue that with other people. I think it just depends, though. Uh, this one is a blend, though. Uh, one-third Primitivo, one-third Sangiovese, one-third Dolcetto. Uh, special limited edition label, as you can tell. Uh, this blend is dedicated to the 2018 Mendocino Complex fires. Um, they're dedicated, trying to encapsulate, anyway, that event, which, uh, you know, that happened in 2018. The fire stopped about, about a mile and a half from our vineyard, uh, but there were mandatory evacuations. It was a, I think it burned 450,000 acres all told, it's California's largest fire, burned for seven weeks uh, from basically 180 degrees around where we were. So it was, it was an intense period. Um, there are two interesting things about this wine. That's one of them. Uh, the other thing is that this wine, so when you, when you make red wine, you ferment the skins and the juice together uh, it's a high sugar solution at first, and as it ferments, all the sugar gets chewed up and the alcohol goes up. When the fermentation is done, 
which for me usually means that it's dry. Some people press their wines while there's still sugar in there uh, to either maintain fruit or limit tannin extraction. I tend to favor going completely dry with them and then pressing. Uh, this wine is composed of the press wine, which means, so you have a tank, uh, you can drain out about 80% of what we call the free run juice. And then when you get to the skins, which float on top or eventually sink to the bottom, there's juice kept in there. And that's what people put into the press. They don't necessarily run all that free run juice through the press, although you can. Uh, and actually we do, because I like to give it a little bit of extra oxygen before it goes to barrel. But this is the product from squeezing the skins, which is, I had always wanted to make a wine that was just made from press wine. There are very expensive wines that proudly advertise that they are free run only. Uh, in Bordeaux, that's a thing that several chateaux do. Less tannin, more finesse. Sometimes I'll keep the press and the regular stuff separate and then recombine them later. Sometimes I'll work extra oxygen into the press wine. Uh, press wine will have extra tannin from squeezing those skins, but it also has lots of other interesting colloidal stuff. Uh, if you ever sit at a press and taste while the press is running, there are at least four, for most wines, at least four different what we call press fractions. So when you start pressing, it's very dark, very, uh, very fruit driven. And then it will go into this more tannic and less color thing. And then, then it goes into this more like colloidal, like inter underneath the skin kind of thing. Uh, and then it will go to this very pale, pale high tannin juice. And there are lots of other variations in there. Uh, one of the things people often say, especially in Napa Valley, is that everything that we want in wine is in the skins of the grapes. And that has always really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, I actually think most of the thing, a lot of the things, at least 50% of what we want is actually in the flesh of the grapes and doesn't necessarily have to do with the color or necessarily the tannin, because tannin is in the seeds as well, but it's a different sort of tannin. So it's a complicated issue, but I had always been curious about what would it be like to make a press wine. Uh, and this was a decent, these grapes are not hugely tannic. If you made an Alianico press wine, it would be undrinkable. Petit Syrah press wine, bad idea. Probably don't do it unless you have some amazing, amazing skills or insight. But these are moderate tannin grapes. They have a good amount of fruit to them. They seemed like a good candidate. Uh, the Sangiovese keeps things a little more high-strung. Primitivo is sort of roundness. Um, always has that accessibility factor to it in a good way. But also, a little because Primitivo is a little bit different than Zinfandel, we work on keeping sort of a, an herbaceous note in it. It lends something to that. And then the Dolcetto very cherry-driven, pretty linear and straight ahead. But definite red fruits. Um, this also has a pretty clear sort of floating purple-blue fruit note to it as well, on top of all that raspberry and raspberry jam, uh, red cherry, not necessarily, that's probably from the Sangiovese.
the really interesting thing to me about this wine is the palate feel. And that's something I am, as an ex-chef, very focused on. Working with tannins, working with acidity. That's uh, one of my favorite things to do. Oh, I actually should have mentioned that with the Chardonnay. Little touch of tannin in there. Uh, everything we do goes through a wood basket press. You just use the same thing for everything. It was very, you know, 1915 style winemaking. So even the Chardonnay, put the grapes into the press, squeeze them hard for a few hours. You get a little bit of tannin extraction with it. That's part of the reason these are unfined and unfiltered. Is that little bit of tannin helps everything clarify, helps it settle, it adds to the mouthfeel. And the Chardonnay uh, gets uh, leaves stirring as well. So even though it's in a stainless tank for nine months, I'll be stirring it up once every couple of weeks for a period. Again, getting some of those savory umami compounds. And sometimes we do that with some of the reds as well. Il Fuoco here, Il Fuoco Segreto, which is the, the uh, secret fire, which is one of the four alchemical forms of fire. Um, just has a very very broad, very like entire mouth, fine grain tannin, but not like big sticky Nebbiolo tannin. It's a very, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of a Priorat. It's very tip of the tongue, middle of the palate. And then unlike most of our wines, where we go for, or for me, I like, um, you know, I, I want the wine generally to have a very long finish and to build and grow as it kind of moves through your mouth. This is the opposite. It's very front-loaded. It's And the, the mid-palate is sort of like a giant ball. And then the back is very quick. And there is a little bit of hint of smoke on this one. Uh, like I said, we were in smoke for seven weeks during the fire. And it couldn't have come at a worse time. So with this particular bottling, uh, just sort of addressing that head-on has that sense of vintage terroir, tobacco, dried herb. Yes, there's a hint of smoke. Is it full-on smoke taint? No, it's not. It sort of encapsulates and frames a lot of what's going on. And this would fully qualify as a natural wine. Uh, no sulfites added to this either. So fun to sort of put this in the lineup. Um, like a lot of natural wines, though, this one does like some air. There's something about the way sulfur interacts with tannin and reduction in red wines. So I would say pop this one open half an hour before you want to drink it. And it will, it will open up and present much more fruit as it breathes. This has been open for about an hour, and it's only starting to really sort of blossom open right now. An, an interesting one. Very much a time and a place. And the fires in Lake County in 2018, what's starting to form because all this data is being collected uh, by Davis and some of the other um, technical groups in the area is that with the 2018 fires, what really made a difference in what got smoke taint and what didn't is that A, the grape matters hugely. 
Morvet and Petit Verdot for the same amount of smoke exposure as a Cabernet wine can show up to 16 times more smoke taint. Still trying to figure out why. May have to do something, may have to do with the waxy cuticle that's on the outside of every grape, what it grabs onto, what it holds onto, density of it. But with a lot of the geolocating stuff, what we're also seeing though is that there were stratification layers of the smoke and different altitudes responded differently or absorbed different amounts for being the same clone, same, you know, pretty much the same grape. Uh, and we were, we were actually in one of the pockets that was very, very lucky. Um, all these, I test all of the 2018s to get an idea of the levels. Something like Barbera is off the chart low. They can't even test it. A couple of the other ones, like there won't be a 2018 Grenache. It, it, it just picked up too much and it, it showed it. Um, but most of the things pulled through just fine. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of data for some of these grapes. I don't think anybody in the United States knows how much smoke affects a Negro Amaro vine. A lot more data on Cabernet. Uh, but moving on, so those are the four Prima Materia wines that you would receive with the wine club. And we're kind of unusual in that we offer a fourth or fifth wine. This month it's a fifth since we have five wines total. Uh, this one comes from my friends in the Ancient Wine Guys, a couple of archaeologists and wine professionals. Um, so when you sign up for our wine club, you get one bottle that they choose as well. So we kind of talked about what would be fun for this one. And what we have here this month is a Ramado-style Pinot Grigio from Venezia. Uh, Ramado means copper. And it's a tradition up in northeastern Italy to, especially with Pinot Grigio, you see a lot of them now since orange wines, amber wines have become quite popular. Uh, Ramado is a similar idea, a little bit of skin contact. Pinot Grigio, if you've ever seen it, is surprisingly dark. It is a dark copper color. Um, so it picks up a little bit of that color. So this is a white wine, but you can tell about 10 hours of skin contact, it has a pretty, pretty, it's pink, but it's more, it's pink copper, maybe a hair of orange, but a, a really pretty sort of like deep yellow core to it as well. And uh, yeah, what, what you get with that is just like what you would expect with an orange wine. You pick up a little bit of tannin, you get a little more depth, you get more phenolics from it, so you get more mouthfeel. This is 2016, which is really cool because the Ramados age. It's nice to have some, some age on some of the heavier whites, I think, to begin with. But with that extra bit of skin contact, it picks up a lot more stuffing. Yeah, and this one starts moving into that... Um, I mean, it has the, the bright, crisp, yellow pear element. But it starts moving into the, uh, you know lightly charred citrus zone, a little more marmalade, a little more candied zest, a little more pepper. Yeah, honeydew melon. Oh, well, no, not honeydew. Like a, a step back from honeydew. A yellow, a yellow melon with like a savory touch of bitterness to it.
I like it. So I would almost say that it's almost like a fuller bodied white, but it has, it still has that core of acidity and it has the old world mineral. So it has this sort of vertical spine through it. It has some structure, getting a little bit of tannin on the tongue. It has just a hint of parching, uh, a tip of the tongue tannin. Parching is, that's kind of a negative word, but it's a savory vitreousness. Um, I think this would be a great wine with your charcuterie and meat platter. Uh, I wouldn't want to clutter it up too much with a really complex dish. But a lot of nuance, a lot of subtlety. I've had their wines before, different vintages, um, but I've always really enjoyed this one. Uh, and it's a great cap. Uh, the next wine club, um, I'm going to have a couple new rosés coming out, and including a very dark Cherisuolo style uh, of Barbera and Ionico. So this will be a nice bridge because we're still, it's sunny today, but yesterday was pretty miserable and gray. It, it just didn't quite feel like summer, late spring drinking wine. Uh, I think today might be close to 70 degrees, so it was just feeling a little bit too early. Um, so this is that perfect interim point between needing something more hearty and something more uh, light and fun. And it actually works well as a Chardonnay too, for the light side of the spectrum. Um, thanks so much for watching. We'll have more coming soon. Appreciate it.